Yo, this is the Ancient Texan, and we're going through a book by Pima Chodron that uh, my friend Joan just taught me how to pronounce that name, and I probably still don't have it quite right. And this week, we're up to chapter 13. It's called Widening the Circle of Compassion. Um, the theme in this chapter that hit home with me was blame. Um, blame like when husband and wife, two lovers, have a fight and, and they blame the other one for the fight or for whatever they're fighting about. And it's, a uh, keep and score type of thing. It's, I'm right and you're wrong. Um, it's a little bit of, with religion, it's a little bit of, I'm righteous and you're not righteous. Um, politics, I'm left and you're right. I'm right and you're wrong. Um, there's, in our society and on the news, we're so full of blame. And this uh, chapter is going to talk a lot about that. And I think it has some real value uh, for those of us that would like to get along better with the rest of the world and also would like to make the world a better place to live. Chapter 13 by Pima called uh, Chodron, widening the circle of compassion. Only in an open, non-judgmental space can we acknowledge what we are feeling. Only in an open space where we're all not caught up in our own version of reality can we see and hear and feel what others are really which allows us to be with them and communicate with them properly. Compassionate action involves working with ourselves as much as working with others. Compassionate action is a practice, one of the most advanced. There's nothing more advanced than relating with others. There's nothing more advanced than communication, compassionate com communication. So this, this lesson, um, and if you know, we're gonna look at ourselves if we're evolving and becoming better, you have to focus on compassion and communicating with compassion really communicating to the heart and being there for someone else, our child, spouse, parent, client, patient, or the homeless woman on the street means not shutting down on that person, which means, first of all, not shutting down on ourselves. It means accepting every aspect of ourselves, even the parts we don't like. To this to 
do this requires openness, which in Buddhism is sometimes called emptiness. Only in an open, non-judgmental space can we acknowledge what we are feeling. Wow. Think how many times that actually happens, that somebody doesn't come to a conversation with an agenda, with a point of view, with, I've got the answer, and just shows up to be with someone else and see where it goes. Oh, I had a conversation out hiking this morning on a stream with a lady I passed. First, (coughs) because of a dog, the first interaction was actually pretty good and we're both pretty present. But looking back on that conversation, we very quickly went to our own stories and telling our own thing. You know, I, I see mine and I'd like to blame me. But I think, wow, just missed another chance. And it's talking about, uh, she's talking about an old man that's living on the streets. And she says some people stop and give him money, but almost no one looks in his eyes. The feeling that he doesn't exist for other people, the sense of loneliness and isolation is intense. He reminded me that the essence of compassionate speech or compassionate action is to be there for people without pulling back in honor, in horror or fear or anger. Well, it's kind of treating homeless people as non-people. It's not being there. And we like to get ourselves off the hook by giving them that dollar. And I'm certainly guilty of that. I've given out a lot of dollars, a lot more dollars than I've had conversations. When we're, when we're trying to be compassionate, something we soon notice is that the person we set out to help may trigger unresolved issues in us. Oh, how many times I've wanted to have a conversation with someone and get to know them and I go right down the rat hole, the first uh, hot topic they hit first time they get a little loud or a little aggressive I go right down the rat hole of getting more aggressive we find ourselves hating these people are scared of them are feeling like we just can't handle them this is always true if we are not sincere about wanting to benefit others sooner or later all of our own unresolved issues will come up. We'll be confronted with ourselves. This, you know, going down the rat hole, it says it's always true if we're not sincere about wanting to benefit others. In other words, when we keep it about ourselves, we're going down the rat hole of blame of 
indifference, of arguing, of feeling superior. Rashi Bernard Glassman is a Zen teacher. He helps uh, people in New York City, the homeless. He doesn't really do this work to help others. He does it because he feels that moving into areas of society that he had rejected is the same as working with the parts of himself that he had rejected. That's pretty profound. And, and it doesn't come easy, easy for me to believe that that's actually true. I'm, I'm trying to kind of appreciate the thought that what I dislike in others, what I reject, what I have trouble with is uh, the same qualities in myself. But I can actually think of some cases um, where that's true. I got in an argument with my daughter-in-law, and I think uh, it's one of those cases where I got more aggressive And her is that trigger, and it's the trigger of also wanting to be right and have the answer. Uh, in fact, a lot of this studying I've been doing is kind of with the goal of doing better in those kind of situations, maybe better with her when I get the chance. What we reject out there is what we reject in ourselves. And what we reject in ourselves is what we are going to reject out there. Hmm. What we hate in ourselves will hate in others. To the degree that we have compassion for ourselves, we will also have compassion for others. Having compassion starts and ends with having compassion for all those unwanted parts of ourselves, for all those imperfections that we don't even want to look at. <clears throat> There's a slogan in the Mahayana teachings that says, drive all blames into oneself. When it hurts so bad is because I am hanging on so tight. I think you have to sit with that for a while and I think the rest of this chapter will help uh, explain that. Pain comes from holding so tightly to having it our own way and that one of the main exits we take when we find ourselves uncomfortable, when we find ourselves in an unwanted situation or an unwanted place, is to blame. We habitually erect a barrier called blame that keeps us from communicating genu genuinely with others. We fortify it with our concept of who's right and who's wrong. 
blame builds a barrier. I can definitely see that. I grew up in a very judgmental Church of Christ who thought they were right and everyone else was wrong. And we blamed them because they didn't see, the rest of the world didn't see the error of their ways. And I still carry a lot of that uh, baggage with me, working on it. And I don't think I'll probably get out of this lifetime having got it okay. It is a very common, ancient, well-perfected device for trying to feel better. Blame others. Blaming is a way to protect our hearts, to try to protect what is soft and open and tender in ourselves. Rather than own that pain, we scramble to find some comfortable ground. I'm not sure I'm enough in touch with myself to always appreciate that. But I think uh, in the political arena, I definitely see that. We want to, we have a lot of problems in this country and we, each side wants to blame the other side and there's plenty of blame to go around. And there's plenty of issues that neither side's even addressing, much less, you know, you want to blame the other side. Go for it, but anyway. We could begin to shift that deep-seated, ancient, habitual tendency to hang on to having everything on our own terms. The way to start would be first, when we feel the tendency to blame, to try to get in touch with what it feels like to be holding on to ourselves so tightly. What does it feel like to blame? How does it feel to reject? What does it feel like to hate? What does it feel like to be righteously indignant? Okay, this is saying if we want to change things, at the moment that we're starting to blame someone, we have to feel what that feels like. We have to let ourselves feel what's happening at that time moment for me it's a little bit of um, blame is a little aggressive the righteous indignant is you know I'm superior I'm noble I've got the answer that's kind of my style of blame when we stop blaming long enough to give ourselves an open space in which to feel our soft spot. It's, just, it's as if we're reaching down to touch a large wound that lies right underneath the protective shell that blame builds. Blame gives us a protective shell. And if we stop right before we do the blaming, or maybe we can't do it that soon, right? In the act of blaming, we recognize that that's what we're doing. We can try to learn to, to 
to get in touch with ourselves and feel that. Buddhist words such as compassion and emptiness don't mean much until we start cultivating our innate ability simply to be there with pain, with an open heart and the willingness not to instantly try to get ground under our feet. Groundlessness, we talked about that before. When we're, for instance, if what we're feeling is rage, we usually assume that there are are only two ways to relate to it. One is to blame others, lay it all on somebody else, drive all blames into everyone else. The other alternative is to feel guilty about our rage and blame ourselves. So what she's suggesting here is when you feel rage or blame of any type, to just stop in the act and see how you feel and sit with what you're feeling. Blame is a way in which we solidify ourselves. Not only do we point the finger when someone, when something is wrong, but we also want to make things right. Yep, that's me. That was my religion growing up. We have the answer to save the world. You're wrong, we're right. If you listen to us, we'll save the world, we'll save your soul. In any relationship that we stick with, be it marriage or parenthood, employment, a spiritual community or whatever, we may also find that we want to make it righter than it is because we're a little nervous. Maybe it isn't exactly living up to our standards, so we want to justify it and justify it and try to make it extremely right. Uh, I think of a, a woman nagging her husband because he does something like leave the <clears throat> sponge in the sink not put it on in the bowl where it goes. And he's a pretty good guy, but if he could just get this one thing right, um, the world would be a lot better. He could be righter and better if we could just get him to take responsibility and be better than he is. We come up with some dogmatic belief and hold on to it with a vengeance, again to solidify our ground. Uh, I think if you look at the two political parties, I think most of their positions are dogmatic. I happen to find some of the dogma easier to agree with because it's in line with my dogma. I think fundamentals, religion, easy to see there. But we all have some things we hold on to, to being true that uh, has not really been examined and we're oh, very confident about our answers and that we're right and the world would be better if it would just follow our thinking we have some sense that we have to make things right according to our standards we can't if we 
just can't stick with a situation any longer then it goes over the edge and we make it wrong because we think that's our only alternative something's right or something's wrong this is kind of like you know in a relationship where you're saying I've got a great husband and or a great wife and blah 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 a great partner and then you complain a little bit about their bad traits and then at some point it's one too many things or he's done one thing now he goes from being you know, a pretty good partner that's got some flaws to being a rotten partner that has no no, no saving virtues that something's all right or something's wrong We feel that we have to be right so that we feel good. But we don't want to be wrong because then we'll feel bad. Feeling right can feel good. We can be completely sure of how right we are and have a lot of people agreeing with us about how right we are. But suppose someone does not agree with us, then what happens? Ten people can agree with you. And the one that you get upset about is the one uh, that disagrees with you. Do we find ourselves getting angry and aggressive? If we look into the very moment of anger or aggression, we might see that this is what wars are made of. This is what race riots are made of. Feeling that we have to be right. Being thrown off and righteously indignant. When someone disagrees with us. Boy, there's a lot of subjects in America today that fall in that category. That it's black or white. And if you don't agree on the whole platform of ideas. Um, if you have all check marks and then one X. then you're not the chosen, you're not the chosen person, people, and we get very indignant and, and righteous if someone disagrees with any one of our 10 points on our platform. That's kind of a, all of America right now. That's the, it's the news, it's the political systems, it's most of the religions. We find ourselves feeling wrong, convinced that we're wrong, getting solid about being wrong. We could also look at that. The whole right and wrong business closes us down and makes our world smaller. Wanting situations and relationships to be solid, permanent, graspable, obscures the pith of the matter, which is that things are fundamentally groundless. We believe we know a lot more than we know. We've got a whole pile of assumptions, and most of those assumptions are just piled up there without examining, uh, because you got to believe something, you got to start somewhere. We want situation and relationships to be solid, 
permanent, graspable, and graspable. But this obscures the pith of the matter, which is that things are fundamentally groundless. Instead of making others right or wrong, or or bottling up right and wrong in ourselves, there's a middle way, a very powerful middle way. We could see it as sitting on the razor's edge, not falling off to the right or the left. This is some important stuff. Need to. There's a powerful middle way. This middle way involves not hanging on to our version so tightly. It involves keeping our hearts and minds open long enough to entertain the idea that when we make things wrong, we do it out of a desire to obtain some kind of ground or security. We want to feel better. We want to feel confidence in our righteousness, our value. Equally, when we make things right, we are still trying to obtain some kind of ground or security. Could our minds or hearts be big enough just to hang out there in that space where we're not entirely certain about who's right and who's wrong? Like, just keep an open question. Just stay curious. Could we have no agenda when we walk into a room with another person? Not know what to say. Not know what person. Let's start over again. Could we have no agenda when we walk into a room with another person? Not know what to say. Not make that person right or wrong. Could we see, hear, feel other people as they really are? It is powerful to practice this way because we'll find ourselves continually rushing around to try to feel secure again, to make ourselves or them either right or wrong. But true communication can happen only in that open space. Wow, there's that that moment of connection that you know you feel with someone and it lasts for a little while and then it disappears and I think that's when we move back on to making it about ourselves and not staying in the situation we move into our own story uh, our own right and wrong and we find something in the conversation that kind of kind of triggers us and we drift back into our own safe space. We'll find that we actually can't make things completely right or completely wrong anymore because things are a lot more slippery and playful than that. Everything is ambiguous. Everything is always shifting and changing and there are as many takes on any given situation as there are people involved. Trying to find absolute rights and wrongs is a trick we play on ourselves to feel secure and comfortable. We want to have the answer. How are we ever going to change anything? How is there going to be less aggression 
in the universe rather than more. We can then bring it down to a more personal level. How do I learn to communicate with someone who is hurting me or someone who is hurting a lot of people? How do I speak to someone that some change actually occurs? How do we make the world a better place? Both in our little circle and the bigger circle. How do I communicate so that things that seem frozen, unworkable, and eternally aggressive begin to soften up and some kind of compassionate exchange begins to happen? That's a pretty powerful question. It starts with being willing to have a compassionate relationship with the parts of ourselves that we feel are not worthy of existing on the planet. If we even aspire to stay awake and open to what we're feeling, to recognize and acknowledge it as the best we can in each moment, then something begins to change. So let's say that we can't be open and stay um, in the now and with the other person and that we quickly switch into our world, our view, our right, their wrong. This is saying if we just even aspire to stay awake, to stay in the moment and open to what we're feeling and we recognize and acknowledge it as best we can at each moment, then the change starts. It starts with seeing ourselves when we start to make ourselves right or ourselves wrong. If at the moment of beginning to blame or to say that you're right and someone else is wrong, if you can see yourself and be open to what you're feeling at that point, you can begin to change who you are. At that particular point, we could just contemplate the fact that there is a larger alternative to either of these, a more tender, shaky kind of place where we can live. You live in that spot of not knowing, of being open, keeping the question open, keeping the judgment at bay. If we begin to get in touch with whatever we feel with some kindness, our protective shells will melt and we'll find that more areas of our lives are workable. As we learn to have compassion for ourselves, the circle of compassion for others, what and whom we can work with and how become wider. Well, I find this whole um, chapter pretty important in my life. Um, my wife often so says she doesn't feel good enough 
my kind of modus operandi is I feel superior. Uh, I feel right. And I blame the other person on anything that goes wrong. Is That's my tendency. Of course, rationally, I know that that uh, is not correct and it's not okay. But what we feel and the actions that result from our feelings are often not rational. Uh, They're kind of ingrained in us and part of who we are. And we can't change it until we can start to see it. And you can beat yourself up for it, but that's just, you know, extending the problem one more step because you've just done what you're condemning. You blamed yourself and, you know, you're wrong. So that, that, that's just one more step in the wrong direction. What you have to do is with kindness accept the fact that that's where you are in your stage of development. Um, and be with it and just accept that that that's the way it is Um, try to notice those moments and as you notice them you give them less power and you gradually give yourself an ability to stay open a few more moments than you did before it's a slow process it's taking your whole life to get to where you are and where I taken my whole life. I'm an old dude. I'm the ancient Texan. So, not saying this is easy, but if we want to change the world and make a better place, you got to start with yourself and learn to be that open, kind person that you want to be. You got to start working on our blame. Well, this is the ancient Texan uh, hoping uh, you want to grow and that uh, you're making some progress and wishing the best for me too. This is the ancient Texan. Namaste. Yo, this is the ancient Texan, an earthling, hoping we all can learn to live and play well together on this small and delicate planet we call home. May we all honor the sacred and our fellow inhabitants. Namaste.